Live from the DraftKings Sportsbook and Wild Rose Studio. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460. KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Welcome back in the 11 o'clock hour. It's Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. Another keyword coming up here in about 20 minutes. Uh, following that, we'll hear from our friend Zubin Mahente from ESPN. ESPN Radio does mornings there. He joins us on a weekly basis and uh, his time slot here coming up. Right now, let's talk some baseball. We've been talking about it all morning. Matt Snyder, CBSSports.com. Both of the championship series are underway. Matt Trenton, Ken in Des Moines, thanks for coming on. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Uh, hoping for some series to go deep. Yes. A uh, little worried about the AL side at this point. Yeah, I am too. I, it's, uh, the Rays have been <laughs> eye-opening throughout the entire season and into the playoffs. You know, that in a second. I want to pick your brain, first of all, on the news from the south side of Chicago yesterday uh, with uh, Don Cooper walking the plank and, of course, Rick Renteria uh, being let go by the White Sox. They're looking for someone with, ma- with, with championship experience and ped- pedigree is what I saw. I heard that uh, on Cappy's show uh, here this morning, apparently A.J. Pruszynski was on, uh, and Pruszynski's throwing his hat in the ring. But Tony LaRusso is the one that's where I want to start with you, that apparently the White Sox, LaRusso was there before, as we recall, they're going to kick the tires on LaRusso. Does that surprise you, and what's the likelihood that that gets anywhere? Uh, It surprised me to see it even thrown out there. But I'm just not seeing it. I mean, it's, you've got such a young team. It's been, what was it, 2011, I think, was the last time he managed. He's 76 years old. I, I, I'm just not seeing it. I understand the name has cachet, and sometimes teams try to try to run it back with, with blasts from the past. But when you talk about championship pedigree and you've got A.J. Hinch and Alex Cora sitting right there, I wonder if this is just a leverage play. I, I, mm. I don't know. Um, it's interesting that you just said A.J. Pruszynski threw his hat in the ring. I, come on, that's not going to get anywhere again when you've got Hinch and Cora sitting right there. Uh, yeah, I, I'm sure that there are some people so mad about Hinch and Cora's roles and uh, what a lot of people are calling the cheating scandal, the sign ceiling scandal from the 2017 uh, Astros and 2018 Red Sox. But at this point, get them in a dugout with a different team. I just think that's going to fall by the wayside really, really quickly. So for me, there's two candidates, and everything else is just noise. I'm with you. I think Cora probably ends up back in Boston. We'll see. But A.J. Hans, I'm not sure if you saw Dallas Keuchel's tweet yesterday. It's almost like he's got uh, some inside information that his old skipper is about to become his new skipper once again. Uh, his tweet was it was very short, but um, you know, stand by for. I, I don't. I don't recall what it was, so I can't paraphrase I didn't it properly. That no, but yeah. But it sure sounds well, like was, he's here, got. Yeah, here's something that's interesting about that. Sorry to cut you off. <laughs> it's recently uh, my job. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, what's interesting to me about that is Keiko was one of the guys during the regular season that when the White Sox were kind of in a bad way, he was very vocal that there are some guys in here who don't show up every day to play hard. And he, he was very vocal about that. And that's one of the reasons they brought him in was his championship pedigree, as we just said, looking for the manager. Uh and uh, one of the things we saw yesterday, I believe it was a Ken Rosenthal tweet, was that uh, some of the veterans didn't think that Renteria held his younger players as accountable as he should on a daily basis. So 
there's a lot of little things that we can kind of start to tie together here. Uh, the tweet was big things ahead for the White Sox with three exclamation yeah. points. So yeah, there's that's, a that's lot got there. Yeah. Written all over it. So yeah. Hitch, if he does get this job, how how problematic? The stories will be written, but. What does that do to the White Sox? What what does it do for AJ Hinch and just the the aura that surrounds him after, of course, what happened in Houston? I think he did as good a job as anybody at trying to be accountable and say I shouldn't agree with him. Yep. And, yep. and, and there were there were a lot of reports out there that said he hated it, and he. But he, now he, again, he kind of went along with it. Yeah. But when you're winning, you can kind of see how like, all right, well, this aggravates me, but we're about to win the World Series. So, you know, it's tough. Like, I I see the side where we want to hate him for the rest of his life and call him a cheater and go nuts about everything. But at the end of the day, if the White Sox do hire him, I I, I would move forward and say he's still one of the best managers in baseball. I think he's excellent at blending old school with new school. He's excellent at interplayer relations. Um, I I think that this would be, if you look at where the, the team is right now, and gosh, it hurts to say about Rick Renteria, who's such a nice guy. But this would seem like the 2015, 2000, when the Cubs went out in between 2014 and 15 yeah. and, and grabbed Joe Madden over Rick Renteria just because they could. This would kind of seem similar to, to grabbing A.J. Hinch just because the, the White Sox can to replace Rick Renteria. Interesting. Uh, Matt Snyder, CBS Sports, is our guest. And I couldn't agree with you more on, on how Hinch handled it. I think it was a... 30-minute piece or an hour piece with uh, Tom Verducci on the Major League Baseball Network. I thought he came off very well, and I was, you know, I went, I sat down in front of my TV uh, ready to throw things at it because I was so pissed at the, at the whole Astros thing, and, and to be honest with you, uh, he changed my he changed my opinion a little bit. Anyways, not up to me uh, who the White Sox are going to sign. Let's get to the here and now, and that's how it's playing out, and as you mentioned, we're, we're, we're crossing our fingers that we get some long series on these things. The Astros have been just killing the baseball. Tampa, look, if you look at the box score and you take away the runs and just uh, what happened during the game, the hits, the strikeouts, etc., you would think that the Astros are the team up 2 nothing, Matt? Yeah, the, the, in terms of traffic, it seems like the Astros are really outplaying them. They're getting the guys on. They're just not getting them in. Uh, it's unbelievable how many guys they've left on base there. And if, if That's really where, where we are is through two games, the Astros have left so much traffic on base, and the the Rays have played with fire so much when they're on when they're pitching and when they're on defense. And they, it just you you feel like the Rays should be down to nothing, and then they'd be kind of in the driver's seat because Glasnow hasn't pitched yet. They haven't completely emptied the tank when it comes to Castillo, Anderson, and Fairbanks. Now Anderson did look a little vulnerable yesterday, but he worked out of it thanks to a well placed hard hit double play ball by George Springer, <laughs> sure. but. If you looked at kind of with the pitcher usage and how much traffic there's been, you would think right now, okay, well, the Astros are up 2 nothing, but the Rays are in good shape to turn things around. Instead of 2 nothing Rays, man, I, I don't love the way things look for the Astros right now at all. No, it's certainly looking like a concern. And Jose Altuve, Dusty Baker mentioning after the game the yips. You're the manager. Do you even yeah. want to throw that term out there? And maybe get into Altuve's <laughs> head further. It just—I don't know. It struck me as incredibly odd. Yeah, I, I actually didn't see that. Um, that's interesting because you always say it's the one thing. Like, there's no such thing as a jinx until you say it to a guy <laughs> yeah. because then he starts thinking about it. 
Um, that's why it always drives me crazy when we tweet like so and so is a no hitter going through seven, and people yell at us and get like, right, "Come on, that doesn't do anything." <laughs> the whole reason you say it's a jinx if you say no hitter is if you say it to the pitcher. Because then he starts thinking about it. Oh, wait, I've got a no-hitter going. The same thing with the, the yips. You don't want to say it to the golfer who's got the shanks. <laughs> you don't want to say it to the, the second baseman who can't throw it to first right now. So, yeah, it's Jose Knobloch, I guess. Mm. Uh, interesting yeah. interesting comparison. Uh, so <laughs> let, let's go to the NLCS. The Dodgers, Bueller pitched, uh, I thought, well. Freed pitched better. He was unbelievable in that baseball game. The sound of the bat striking the ball in the ninth inning when Riley parked one uh, into the left field seats was unbelievable. And hats off to John Smoltz, who obviously knows this Braves team very well. Uh, he mentioned early in the baseball game just how much they're in love with this guy. And, yep, they're gonna, they missed Donaldson uh, in the clubhouse, but they've got his heir apparent, and this kid's going to be a star, and he's got some power. And uh, wouldn't you know it, before it was all over, Riley parked one uh, into the seats. Uh, uh, what do we make from this game? The Dodgers, uh, they got to, you know, look, they're going to put Kershaw out there. They're going to get something uh, at the top of that lineup from Betts, etc. before it comes, uh, before this series ends. Bellinger which, uh, had a better series last time. He's hopefully broken out of it for Dodgers' sakes. But what do we make of uh, the Braves drawing fl- first blood? I think it's good because it, it probably symbols that we're going to have a longer series. My, my main concern going in was Dodgers would just steamroll them. I mean, think about it. Before yesterday, including the playoffs, the Dodgers were 48-17 this year. That's a team that almost never, ever loses. So probably a good thing to get to get a Braves win there for people like, uh, like us who want to see a long series. Uh, the other thing I thought about, I, I was just thinking about the way the Dodgers pitching sets up and they pitched Dustin May last night, it's going to fascinate me to see how they work because they've been using basically two main starters in Walker Buehler and Clayton Kershaw. And then after that, they have Dustin May, Julio Urias, Tony Gonsolin. They've been using May and Urias a lot to like piggyback starters and get length in games like we saw behind Walker Buehler in the first two rounds of the playoffs. Uh, I don't know if you can do that in a seven-game series with no days off. And the other concern is Kenley Jansen. It seems like he's kind of broken. Mm-hmm. And I was asked on a show yesterday, what do you do in the ninth inning? And my answer was, well, you know. have Jansen, but then you have you have uh, Blake Trinan ready in case Jansen doesn't get it done and hope you haven't used him yet. Well, Trinan's the guy who got lit up last yep. night. Mm-hmm. So Gradwell is there. It's just that you have the young and unproven guy. It's going to be interesting to see how the Dodgers work their pitching moving forward in this series. First time since March 12th that there were fans in the stands for an MLB game. Mm-hmm. Of course, when things were shut down during spring training, all 10,700 tickets were sold for this one. Some more utilized by the teams, but fans in the stands, how much of that were people excited to watch baseball, and how much was that the people of Dallas and Arlington just wanted to finally see that new stadium? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't get a good sample of the crowd. There were like faint tomahawk chops at some point. Yeah. So I, I feel like <laughs> there were Braves fans there that made the trip. Uh, Dodgers are you know, like the, the West Coast, a lesser version of the Yankees. Like there's Dodgers fans almost everywhere. So I assume there were fans of both teams there. But also, yeah, if I lived there and I felt comfortable with the, the medical and all that stuff, uh, I would absolutely go. I mean, one thing I remember the last week of the season, I was kind of lamenting to my wife, like, man, this is the first time I haven't gotten to go to a regular season 
or playoff baseball games since I was like five, and I'm pretty annoyed about it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I would have gone. Uh, I, you know, if I had to guess, maybe half half fans of either team and half uh, people in the Arlington area that just wanted to go see a game. It was great to see. It was great to hear. And um, you know, it's a, we're a long way from being normal, but uh, maybe this is in sports, anyways, a, ste- a step in the right direction. Last thing, Matt, you know, regarding fans, I saw the Cubs uh, sent out their plans for early 2021 that they hope at least to begin in April that season ticket holders are allowed at Wrigley Field. What's the likelihood of that? It seems like a long shot to me, at least in the beginning of the year. Uh, man, it does seem like it's a long shot. It's just so far away, and there's so much we don't know as we continue to move forward. But I will say this. Uh, I, I long said, and I've been wrong about this, but I, I from the get-go, I thought the first sports-adjacent uh, entity that will allow fans back will be WWE because I absolutely felt like Vince McMahon is going to be the one who's going to try to cram fans in there. Mm-hmm. I was wrong about that, but I'll try again. On the baseball front, the Ricketts family absolutely are going to be the ones who are going to try to have fans first. <laughs> the first chance they get, they're going to try to cram fans in there. Yeah, and we're at a point right now that Trent and I couldn't travel to Chicago and uh, leave our hotel room if we're coming for a weekend with <laughs> yeah. the quarantine in place. We'll see. Exactly. Long way yep. to go, Matt Snyder. Thank you very much, Matt. Appreciate it. We will uh, talk to you uh, well, hopefully before the World Series. Thanks, Matt Snyder. All right. Have a good one. Good to talk to you, Matt Snyder. CBSSports.com. Um, Gratterall seems like the closer in waiting to me. Yeah, he's had his own shaky moments, though. He, Yes, closer in waiting, absolutely. But late game still kind of has that... They got so many power arms in that yeah, bullpen. They do. It's and crazy. he's one of them. As yeah. Smoltz said, um, and he's never seen anybody throw an easier 100. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. That's a pretty good description. You know, when he said that, I went, what does he mean by that? And then I watched him throw up, one up there to buck one. It's not. There's no effort behind it. And with movement in 101. It's time to uh, help you out here, folks, with another $1,000 keyword Text the keyword SMILE to 200-200 right now. It's your chance to win $1,000. That SMILE to 200-200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. Back with Zubin Mahente next. He joins Miller and Condon as we take you until noon. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. We are Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 AM. And now, 106.3 FM. This is... Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM, this is KXNO. Station 1460 KXNO 106.3 FM. Uh, don't forget tomorrow at 11.05, our friend David Kaplan will join us in his weekly spot, Centurion Stone of Iowa sponsors Cappy. A lot of White Sox conversation, Cubs conversation is Bears as well. Windy City Sports Topics with Cappy every Wednesday at 11.05, Centurion Stone of Iowa. Let's get to our friend Zubin Mahente. Mornings on ESPN Radio. Zubin, good to catch up with you again. Trent and Ken, how are you? Good, if I'm not mistaken. I think Kaplan comes on right after us in Chicago. He does. So uh, that'll be good. I'll be uh, 
able to check him out. I always check your guys' podcast out. Now that I don't have to drive, I have plenty of time to walk around the city. And so it's been a great listen. Uh, good stuff. Uh, so you're like what many New Yorkers, right? You get there and you sell the car because there's a it costs. It's almost well. You lived in Iowa. It almost costs as much to rent a place to park, rent a parking space as it does here for some apartments in Central Iowa. It's crazy, Zubin. I'll give you some numbers. So the building I live in on Wall Street actually has a garage, but it's not operational at this point because of everything that's going on. So even if I wanted to keep it there, I couldn't. So I inquired around the city, some places that I could get to easily. I could walk to get the car if I needed to to move it and drive it and take it everywhere. And they said basically it would be uh, somewhere between 480 and $600 per month. So my solution was I called my dad and I said, Dad, can I park it in the driveway for no month for free? <laughs> and he said, come on down and drive it, put it in the driveway for zero dollars. So that's what I decided to do. 600 bucks for a parking spot. Just Jeez. absolutely crazy. Uh, Zubin, uh, so much ground to cover with you. I want to start with the topic that Trent and I, we really overlooked uh, the, the NBA and the Lakers coronation of another championship and LeBron. And look, after the, uh, after the, uh, the game was over and LeBron's got the microphone, I have zero problem, and he's getting killed for it, criticized in some areas for for asking for his respect. And I, you know what? It's, I think he's right, spot on. Uh, because for whatever reason, Zubin, look, I'm an MJ guy. I'll always be an MJ guy. But what LeBron James has done and where he fits, and it's, it's disappointing that we have to, you know, as soon as a guy crowns gets crowned a champion, well, where does he fit on the overall scheme, right? But that's what we do. I get it. Uh, did you hear much blowback from, you know, fans, uh, from people that were not pleased with LeBron feeling he had to ask for the respect that he feels he deserves? Yeah, I mean, I think the people that he mentioned at the end of that statement, when he wanted his respect, I think he might be just talking to people that will never give it to him. And I think those people just need to be... Uh, extricated from LeBron's mind. There are some people that are never going to root for him because of his stances on social justice. There's some Michael sycophants out there that will never root for him because of Michael. And, Ken, I'm in your boat. I'm a Michael guy, too, but it's not like I can't appreciate this guy's greatness. Um, but I think at the end of the day, what it comes down to is the thing that's been most impressive is how much he's been able to add to his game every year. So, for example, he's been in the league since 2003. He just finished his 17th season in the NBA. For the first time, he led the league in assists. It's something he had never done before, but he decided, let me add this to the repertoire. And obviously, guys like Anthony Davis benefited. The guys all the way down to Alex Caruso benefited and everybody in between. You can make an argument he's played in 10 NBA Finals. He's the greatest scorer possibly of his generation. And the most iconic play he's made in the NBA Finals was a chase-down block. You could really make an argument that for all of the marvels that he has brought to the table, either every year there is something that he adds to his game or something that surprises you. He keeps his body in shape. It's been well-documented how much money he spent keeping his body in shape. And at the end of the day, he has shown no drop-off. I mean, people say they see a little bit of lax defense from LeBron here and there. I don't see it. I-, I think the most amazing thing about him is he came in with Dwayne Wade and Carmelo Anthony. Dwayne is done. Carmelo found a little bit of a fountain of youth with resurgence. But think about one of those guys is out of the game. One of the guys is kind of hanging on in the game and the other continues to be the best player in the game. You could give Giannis two MVPs at 25 and the defensive player of the year. We all know who the best player in basketball is, right? Yeah, no, yeah, no the, doubt in my mind. It's pretty, pretty amazing. What about the NBA? What's next? Uh, an off season, the NBA draft, but 
When do you expect regular season games to happen? For a while, it felt like trying to get it by Christmas. It's always a big holiday. That looks very unrealistic. February, is that a realistic mark for regular season basketball? I think it's possibility. I think what the NBA should really do, honestly, is not to take advantage of the situation they're in. Nobody wants to capitalize on the pandemic. But with the way the league has been upside down, I think they have a real opportunity here to just say it's an off-season unlike any other. Right now, we don't know what the salary cap is going to be because of the hit from China. And generally, the fans not being able to attend games since the 11th or 12th of March is going to hurt gate receipts, and that's going to hurt the overall revenue. So that will affect the salary cap. Nobody knows what's really going to happen in free agency. Uh, the draft date is set, but nobody really knows what the run-up is going to be like. Are you going to be able to get in-person workouts? Are you going to be able to evaluate guys on Zoom? Is that really how you want to evaluate people? Mm, yeah. Obviously, there's in-person scouting during the season. But I think there's an opportunity here for the NBA to really say this is going to be an off-season unlike any other. And you're right. Uh, Christmas is a date that most casual fans watch basketball. Steve Kuhn in the co-owner of the Hawks that actually asked to be that ask that date to be the start of the season. Uh, there's always the possibility of starting around Martin Luther King Day, which is obviously mm. very big for the NBA. That could be something that's in play as well. There won't be any social justice messages on the court next season. That's really the most definitive thing that Commissioner Silver has come out and said. So I think there's a real opportunity here to call this an unprecedented offseason after an unprecedented regular season. Also, guys, keep in mind, one thing that the league is going to have to take into account, it's not a major thing because we have to live day-to-day now, of course, but Next year is set to be the NBA's 75th anniversary. That's a big thing. They were planning a huge celebration, this, that, and obviously, you know, they're hoping to have some fans in the stands. But for that big number, for 75, you would really like to see the league be able to put it on in a grand way. But remains to be seen if that's going to happen. Zubin Mahente from ESPN Radio is our guest. Uh, Zubin, um, the bubble obviously worked in the NBA. It clearly worked in the NHL. This morning, the Athletic is reporting that the NFL is tinkering with a playoff bubble. Get through the wild card round and put all the teams remaining into a bubble in two cities. Obviously, the AFC would go to one of them. Dallas and L.A. are the two buildings that are being spoken of. Uh, you would uh, During the week, you would... You know, stagger the practice times for the teams that are participating in the bubble. Um, but a lot, a lot of work to be done, but at least that is on the table. What's the likelihood, do you think, Zubin, of a bubble for the NFL playoffs? We're seeing it in baseball now, and it's, and it's working. Does that make sense for the NFL to bubble their teams uh, in the playoffs? I think it makes sense. I also think I'm not quite sure. I mean, I, I don't want to be too skeptical or dubious about it. But when you put out statements saying, listen, we're going to find you $100,000 if you don't wear your mask, we'll find the organization 250 then we'll take away draft picks, then we might forfeit a game. Um, I think this is just the next evolution. We're going to do everything possible to keep you safe. And I'm not saying this isn't a contingency they're thinking about. Obviously, the fact that we're playing a game tonight is the reason they've got to think about a bubble. They have no idea what team might have an outbreak. I think Tennessee's number hit 24 before no positive tests this morning. So I think it's something they've obviously got to consider to try to get the season done. But I also think it's just from a PR standpoint, it just goes along with what they've been saying the whole time, which is we're going to severely draconian penalties on teams. And if if teams like the Titans can't get together on a practice field, that could have led to a positive test. If those are the sorts of things that we need to prevent against, we'll put everybody in a bubble. So I'm not saying it's not coming from a good place. I'm sure it is. They want to finish the campaign. They want to keep all their players safe, especially some of these assistant coaches that are well in the coronavirus susceptibility range. 
But if you kind of take a look at some of the things the league has said publicly about how they want to handle coronavirus, the idea of going to a bubble and being uber cautious falls right in line with that. So we have all these rescheduled games, including tonight with Buffalo and Tennessee, two undefeated teams. Feels like we know nothing about the Titans now. Ken and I were talking about this earlier. Just how do you handicap this game? Not with the handicapping perspective, but talking to Keyshawn Johnson as you do on your morning show each and every day. Being away from your team and not practicing for a couple of weeks, what do you think Buffalo, Tennessee is going to look like even this evening? So Key thinks Tennessee is going to look sloppy early in the first half. Keep in mind, they haven't basically had basically had one practice. They haven't played a game since September 27th. I think that game against the Vikings, I think they've won all three games on Gostowski's right foot in the latest yeah. game on the 27th against the Vikings. Um, so I think that's 16 days. Today's October 13th, right? So uh, that's a long time. So Key thinks they're going to look a little rusty early on. I was more interested to ask him about Josh Allen. Like, you know, when Josh Allen came in, he was reckless, a yeah. bar gunslinger, he's wild. And he's clearly more refined this year. I mean, he's an MVP candidate. I wouldn't put him ahead of Russell Wilson or anything like that, or Aaron Rodgers, but he certainly looked great. And he looks like a completely different player. And he really thinks a lot of that has to do with Stephon Diggs. And we were discussing this morning, is Matt Ryan really that bad, or does he just have a lack of playmakers, or is the organization disintegrating? What's going on? So it's one of those situations where I look at it and I essentially say, from uh, Buffalo's standpoint, Josh Allen might get all the attention, but that 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 acquisition of Stephon Diggs, they paid a heavy price for it, but it certainly seems to be paying off big time. Uh, what do uh, the NFL people that you speak with, Zubin, make of the Kansas City Chiefs? We go back to that Monday night game, week number three, when they just pounded Baltimore. Looked like by far and away the best team in the NFL. Again, after three weeks. Uh, there was some talk here in, in, in some sports talk that this team's not going to lose. A g- what are you laughing <laughs> that at? Was, that was you. Oh, that was me. That was you. Right. But, but anyway, <laughs> Zubin. Um, so what do we make of Mahomes? Uh, are they figuring him out? Have they figured out not to stop him, but Matt Bone, who I follow on Twitter, and I think he's a brilliant fo- uh, football mind, obviously, the former Hawk, uh, talks about yep. uh, zone coverages are, are starting to maybe throw some – Timing, um, some timing and some rhythm off with Patrick Mahomes. Are defenses figuring him out? I would say no. I think this is a game where I want to give credit to the other quarterback. Um, he had never won a game at Arrowhead. And, you know, he said a couple of weeks ago he was sick and tired of losing. And there's a lot of people that are wondering if Derek Carr is really the kind of guy that Coach Gruden wants. Gruden tinkers with quarterbacks all the time. And he played for Gruden in Tampa. And obviously he's a notoriously tough guy to play for, but. He said before the season, and i got to give him a lot of credit, he said that uh, he thinks the Raiders are the biggest challenge to the Chiefs in the division, and they could close ground considerably. And we had a couple guys on our show that also thought the 16-0 talk could be there, but we didn't really get into Key's. Come on, Key. I mean, they're the Raiders, and Key's a big L.A. guy, and, of course, they used to be the L.A. Raiders. So sometimes I think he always plays favorites. He's he's like the last guy on the Sam Darnold is still great machine because of, you know, David USC. So sometimes when Key talks L.A. stuff, I tend to not – I tend to sometimes say you may be watching it from a hometown perspective, but I got to give him credit. The one thing you saw with Derek Carr is he just wasn't taking deep shots down the field all season long. It's really never been a part of his MO. And the deep shot was really the key to knocking off uh, the Chiefs. It felt like for a second there, a patented Chiefs comeback might have been in the works. I would also say, you know, wins are wins, losses are losses. You can't, would have, could have, should have, everything. But the Chiefs could easily be a two and two football team. Chargers had him on the ropes in week two. It took a pair of 58 yard field goals to win that game. So I would say that I don't think they're a 2-2 and football team, um, and I don't think they're vulnerable. I just think for one day, 
usually the attention is always on Kansas City's quarterback. But I think for one day, you got to give it up. I think the other quarterback stole the show. Big Ten football is back. Zubin, your Rutgers Scarlet Knights will be playing this year. I know there were concerns not just of the Big Ten, but Rutgers alone, if they were going to be out there. Number of Friday games, not just Black Friday with Iowa-Nebraska, but a number more. I think the Gophers are going to be playing three Friday night games, including the battle for a pig. Did they get three? Three of them, yeah. It's... uh, it's out. The schedule is here. How important for college football as a whole do you believe it is for the Big Ten to get back out there playing? Oh, I think it's huge. I mean, right now, not that every one of these teams would be ranked. You've got because obviously we'll be we'll be in we'll be in fourteen. But we got fourteen teams in the Big Ten. You got twelve in the Pac twelve. So that's twenty six teams we still haven't really seen. And I think until you get to that point, I'm not sure. Not that the poll really matters anymore anyway with the committee. But I do think getting these teams back out of the field gives you a little bit more of a representative sample of what the poll should be. I do believe that there's been a little bit of a slow start to the college football season. I think the SEC playing has ramped things up considerably. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not an SEC fan, it does feel a little different yep. when you watch those games. Obviously, you know, you got a huge one this week between Georgia and Alabama. And then I'm not really sure Tennessee can give them a run, but it'll be a litmus test for Alabama next week to see. You know, think about this, guys. Four straight weeks. We all know the record Stephen's ever lost to an assistant. But how about Jimbo two weeks ago, Lane last week, Kirby this week, hmm. and Pruitt next week. That's Jeez. four in a row. So wow. You want to take into account just how much of an influence Nick Saban really has, especially in that particular conference. And you got like Mel Tucker at Michigan State, like, you know, obviously outside of the conference, but his uh, coaching tree is, is truly amazing. Um, but I think it'll be great once everyone is back because until everyone's back, and people can say whatever they want about the fact, well, do we even notice they weren't there? <laughs> I, I think when you get the entire Pyro 5 structure going, and now that UCF has sort of fallen off the map, and I don't think you're going to see much discussion about any sort of group of five uh, at this point. I think you can just kind of hone it down to the Power Five conferences. But honestly, until all five return, I still wouldn't think of it as the season holistically as a whole thing. So now that they're coming back here in the next several days, I think it'll be the case. And again, and people will, will say, you know, it's the Pac-12. And obviously what we're really talking about is the return of the Big Ten when you have a national title contender there in Ohio State. So I think that needs to be said. I think people want to see fields to evaluate the 2020 draft. So I think it goes beyond college football. I think there's a lot to see here uh, over the next two weeks when all these teams get going. Uh, Zubin, my last thing for you, and uh, watched it on Saturday night. Zubin, I didn't think Clemson played particularly well, and they pounded Miami. Um, look, maybe Miami was a little bit of fool's gold, but they were off to a good start. They've got a quarterback, clearly. Uh, King had that big run in the football game. But Clemson, again, Zubin, I don't think it was their best game, and they just, I mean, Miami couldn't even, didn't belong on the same field. Are they that much better than anybody? I think they are. I do, in that league. I, I was watching the game, too, and, and, you know, Clemson had a couple of really terrible special teams miscues that set Miami up in great position. I read Manny Diaz, Miami's head coach, on the show last uh, week before the show, and I really think they have something in De'Ara King. I think he's really good. But the reality is you got to remember, I think, when Miami entered the league, everybody said now. the a- People are talking about the ACC like they're talking about the SEC now, right? It's Florida State, and it's the Hurricanes. And the fact is that since Miami has entered the ACC, they've yet to win, right? So think about that. When they entered the league, it was, it's time for Miami to take over the ACC, new dog in town, all that stuff. And since they've entered, they haven't won. Back then, Clemson wasn't much of anything. I do think the biggest disadvantage Miami has is when you watch Georgia and Alabama. I don't know what's going to happen Saturday, but I feel really confident saying 
that Georgia probably has just as good of a roster as Alabama. And that's a pretty rare thing to see. Like when Alabama couldn't stop Ole Miss, Ole Miss has a handful of great skill position players for sure, but they don't have a tit for tat. They can't go tit for tat with Bama. I do believe Georgia, because Kirby has essentially copied Nick's recruiting model, can go tit for tat with Alabama with talent. I think the problem for the ACC is nobody can do it with Clemson, and nobody's even particularly close. Florida State's moving in the wrong direction. I do think there's a lot of Miami not living on their reputation, but they win a couple games. They have a flashy guy at quarterback. They've been a flashy type program. Don't get me wrong. De'Ara King is one of the best stories in the sport. His uh, father died of breast cancer. Excuse me, his father died of cancer. His mother overcame breast cancer, Mm. both in their 40s. He's only 23 years old. Think about that. I mean, all the great stories are there with Miami. But when you look at the recruiting advantage, um, Miami should never be playing second fiddle to recruiting their fans to tell you. But when you look at the eye test of those two Saturday night on ABC, it couldn't have been more obvious that Clemson was just loaded. And Miami used to be loaded. Yeah, indeed. Zubin, great stuff as always. Have a wonderful week, Zubin Mahente. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. Thank you. Look forward to it, guys. Thank you. As do we, Zubin Mahente from ESPN Radio. So, a couple of things mm-hmm. that we've missed. Clayton Kershaw scratched tonight. Scratch. He's out. So they're going to... I don't know. I didn't see. I don't know. I can't remember who it was now offhand. But yeah, I saw that come across uh, Twitter. So that changes things. And Ian Anderson... Yeah. That young man Pretty from the good, Braves huh? who will, will be starting here today. Yeah. That Braves. Advantage Braves? Yeah, that young, the, the youth on that Braves team. Uh, advantage Braves. Boy, the Dodgers. Well, you know what? I kind of hope they do fall down to zip. Yeah. Because yeah. I want this series to keep going. Uh, Houston. We were talking during the break. Well, at least Friday we got Houston BYU. Mm-hmm. Houston. Again? 15 to 20 players out of practice. Again? Yes. Hasn't, has Houston played a game? Yeah, they just played. Did they? I think they just played. Was that their played. first game, though? Uh, good question. Don't know the answer off the tip of my... Because I want to say they were a team that had like seven different games scheduled and then ultimately canceled. Really? And maybe finally got out there on the field. But they're still, still dealing with this. They have played one game. The Rice game canceled. Baylor game canceled. North Texas. They beat Tulane last Thursday. Oh, that's what. It, yes, I I saw them. Yeah, and they were terrible in the first half. Terrible. And they came roaring back. Yes, because um, it was up against your Bears, mm-hmm. and the college game was pathetic at the time, and they did come back. So this, the BYU game in jeopardy. I would have to think. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Jeez. We'll come back, wrap things up. Uh, Miller and Condon. I got three games we can talk about. Two baseball games. Yes. No Kershaw. Uh, but there's a Monday, not a Monday night, a Tuesday night football game. CBS has that, KCCI at 8 o'clock, Miller and Condon. One more segment to go on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KX and 0 Final couple of minutes here on a Tuesday. It's Miller and Condon, Trent and Ken. Weekdays 10 to noon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. So the schedule today, baseball at 5, the NLCS, football mm-hmm. at 6, mm-hmm. two undefeated teams. Yeah. And then the ALCS at uh, 740, Tony Gonzalez will pitch for the Dodgers as Kershaw has been scratched against Ian Anderson, who I know you're a big fan of. Fun uh, to watch. Uh, any th- one of the three games entice you sports betting-wise more yes. than the others? I uh, I want to see what the – I I already looked. The point spreads have not updated either at William Hill or DraftKings 
For the NLCS? For the NLCS. I want to see what that number changed to. The Dodgers were minus 165 coming into the day to win game two. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to guess that the Braves probably won't be favored, but that no, thing's going to it'll drop. it'll tighten up, yep. Minus 130. I'm going to jump on the Dodgers, I think. That's going to be my, my yep. favorite play of the night. Seems too easy, but I'm going to do it. Probably a, a small wager tonight on Tennessee on Buffalo, excuse me, because Buffalo comes out and just kills him. Why didn't I bet on that? <laughs> right. right. So I'm just going to do that for my own sanity's sake. Because the Titans can't practice or haven't been able to practice. I don't think I'm going to play the Strohs though. I think this. You think the the Rays are going up three zip? It wouldn't shock me. Oh boy, the price on the Astros is minus one ten right now on both sides. Uh-huh. So so it's a toss up game. It's a coin flip. What do you want to see for a world se- for the World Series? If you for television rights uh, viewership aside, yeah, for me, for my enjoyment yeah. of watching it, it's the Rays and the Dodgers. It's the number one seeds. Yeah, wouldn't it be? Wouldn't Dodgers Houston be good again? It would. Yeah, yeah. That that storyline. That's what baseball is certainly I, for sure. For, is I think that. I agree with you. Although it's not, not a bad consolation to get Atlanta. Right. I yeah. mean, obviously Tampa's the outlier mm-hmm. in all of this. But man, they're good. They are a really good baseball team, Trent. Manager, I mean, Kevin Cash is, uh-huh. is doing, pull all the right strings. Oh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a good day of sports here today. One uh, final thing. We ran out of time right at the, our end of our first hour with Brian Arilco. Mm-hmm. And, uh Glad you brought this up. So what this is, and for people maybe not understanding exactly what I was asking as I was trying to rush through the question, but it is gambling on your laptop, on your phone, Casino games. Casino games. Blackjack. Poker. Poker. Craps. Everything. All those games where you don't have to go in. You just Uh play them on your phone. Now, you've been able to do that for years illegally offshore with many of the sportsbook operators would have those kind of things. How big of a boon (laughs) would that be? Poker-wise? Yes. Through the roof, Trent. Blackjack through the roof. Mm -hmm. And Now, obviously, they were against it because they wanted to... Get to you to the casino, yep, right? Right. But now with the world that we're living in, look what what this has shown. If anything, their numbers are basically where they were last year. You would have thought with all the closures, yeah, that they're going to get crushed and there's going to be no money for Polk County. Dot dot dot. They're trending exactly the same as they were last year. So what it's proven is maybe there is a better way of revenue stream here. Iowa legislature gets back together January 11th. Keep an eye on that one. That's going to be interesting. All right, good stuff today. Murph and Andy at 2 Fanatics and 4 Morning Rush tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Thanks for being here, 1460 106.3 FM.